Marcy Sklove, and the show is called Going Deeper. Welcome. Today, my guest is Jackie Wallace. Jackie is a longtime resident of Amherst, a therapist, and the founder and director of the Amherst Area Gospel Choir. Um, and later in the show, we're going to hear some songs from the choir as well. Uh, Jackie was born in Little Rock, Arkansas in 1952 and we're going to hear some more about her life story as well. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to get started. First, welcome. Very happy to have you here. <laughs> I'm really excited to be here. It's been a blessing for me just to go through my life a little bit in preparation huh. and find some, you know, I'm not as boring as I thought I was <laughs> when I look back over my life and say, hey, look at that. That's yeah. not so bad. So I'm really excited, and thank you so much for sure. the invitation to be part of your introducing people to the community. Oh, yeah. okay. So Jackie, I often like to start my interviews by asking about your childhood. Mm -hmm. And uh, what was it in your early life that really helped to shape and inform the work that you do now? Hmm. Well, um, I am a person who likes to hold polarities together. And mm -hmm. I think that's because in a lot of ways, my world has been split split in all the wonderful things and split in all the things that were amazingly difficult. Mm. So in some ways I feel blessed to just even be alive today. But oh. I would say the, the person who had the most influence on my life was my grandmother, uh, Viola Mae Warren. Mm. She had several other names because she was a lounge singer first. Uh -oh. Get that out of the way. That's fantastic. I know, isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I could just see her on a piano. <laughs> and uh, just, I mean, she was an amazing, amazing woman. And I had opportunities to live with her during some of the crises in my primary family group. Mm -hmm. I lived with her on various occasions. I can give you an example of how wonderful she was. Is uh, We were watching a parade. It probably was a Thanksgiving Day parade. And, and I was walking around like this. <laughs> and she says, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm playing the flute. And she said, oh, you're playing the flute, huh? And I said, yes. That was the end of that conversation. But for Christmas that year, she bought oh, me a flute. Wow. And got me flute lessons and yeah. whatever. And our family was so musical. Mm -hmm. Everything about, you know, there was music everywhere. Even in my primary family group, which was my mother, and there were seven of us children who lived. She also lost several kids due mm. to miscarriages yeah. and one who got pneumonia around one because their family was so poor that they couldn't afford yeah. uh, heat. It, it was really uh, difficult, I'll have to say, yeah. not having enough food. You know, I uh, we lived in a situation where we, my mom was too proud to accept welfare, mm -hmm. so she would work three or four jobs, which left my sister, my oldest sister Marie, to yeah. take care of us, and she was Marie. a great caretaker. Yeah. Um, spiritual development, I, like, can I just put in one, one little vignette about my Absolutely. oldest sister? My oldest sister Marie used to take care of me, and she told me this story. And there was nobody else to witness it, but my sister Marie was not a lying person. She, mm -hmm. was, that was, she would tell you the truth. I mean, I like it. 
but she would tell you exactly yeah. what was going on. So she, this is the story she told me. When I was about maybe two, yeah. she was, we were outside and she was watching me outside and I was running around. And then she, you know, as she held me upside down and was swinging me like this, which I thoroughly enjoyed for some reason. I was giggling and yeah. whatever. And uh, so she, I said to her, Marie, say hi to the brown lady. And she said, where? There's no brown lady. And I pointed over to a bush and said, she's standing right over there near the bush. Wow. And my sister said, uh, why don't we go inside? I said, she's smiling. Aww. She's smiling. And then she went inside. Now I have no recollection of that. But I do believe in angels. Uh-huh. And how lovely to see one that was brown. Oh, of course. <laughs> it's just a lovely kind of thing. That's and I think really angels nice. have been with me since yeah. whatever. Um, okay, so um, could you tell us a little bit about your mom? My mother. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. She was something else. She was an amazing and extraordinary woman. But I think, you know, having seven children... First mm -hmm. of all, I have to say I have gained in respect for her after having two children. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I never would have been able to survive with seven children. Yeah. I don't know how she did that. Right. Especially in those times, being a black woman in Arkansas and being the kind of woman she was. My mother, unbeknownst to me, was a, a revolutionary. She had been trained with other with a group of black people who yeah. were planning some type of rebellion. So this was before Black Panthers? Before, yeah. Before Civil Rights. This was yes. in the 40s or 50s? I would say I was maybe not born at okay. that point. So that before 52. Yeah, so before 52. And they were armed. She, she was, yeah, she was armed. Yeah, she was a, one of those kinds of people who it, You were, were serious. telling me it was a paramilitary... Yes, group. paramilitary group, and my mom was a sharpshooter. Hmm. She was, uh, and why that stuck out to me was there was one, on one occasion, my sister Marie again told me the story of my dad was a, a Pullman porter on, yeah. the, ra on the railroad, um, for the railroads, and uh, he had different wives in different Mm -hmm. Not wives, but common-law wives, because mom mm -hmm. was his only legal wife at that time. But she was, she got enough of it one day, and so she told him to get out, and he tried, oh, charm, and whatever, and he was, she was not having it. So she told him to get out, and she shot at him and just whizzed past his ear. But she said, I, I could have shot him if I wanted. Yeah. And every, we were all like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't big enough to know, but I sure, heard that well. story from all my other siblings who were yeah. aghast at it. But she was like that, and she was extraordinary. And she was a director, too, of a, of of a, a choir, choir yeah, yeah. at uh, Shorter Community College in Little Rock. Hmm. So she had that you know, love of music. Um, but one of the things about her, too, was she was so bright. Mm. She was really, really brilliant. Yeah. And she considered a lot of things uh, back then in terms of the black power movement. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she wouldn't put it in those terms, but she was right. very protective of her people. Yes. And she was fierce. But she was also hard-pressed in, uh, in that society, too, because she was not able to go to the... 
the heights that she had wanted to go. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, she'd be working at a, at a job as a salesperson. She'd be excellent, sell more than anybody, and then go up the chain. Mm -hmm. As she went up the chain, she would find that you know she'd hit that glass ceiling, or the racial ceiling, or mm -hmm. whatever it was, mm -hmm. and then it was on because she would not keep her mouth. She would tell her white male boss exactly, yeah. Yeah. and so she would lose jobs over and over again, and there sure. we were without food. Which is where the relatives came in. Yeah. But she was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Now, these days, with all the issues about guns and everything, uh, and also all the surveillance, oh, yeah. were there police like looking at her or, you know, following her activities in this paramilitary mm -hmm. group? Or? I, don't, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think that they that put they, much weight to it because in those days we all had guns. Mm -hmm. I mean, my grandfather, but they were for. They were for hunting. Sure. We could not, as kids, we could not have been less interested in guns. Right. right. It was, it but it was, just, was part of the culture to just yeah, have, yeah, a, yeah. have a gun around. But my mother did have one incident when she was in Crossett, Arkansas, where my grandmother lived. She was, my mom was the uh, director of the NAACP mm -hmm. in that tiny little town, Crossett. Mm -hmm. And she had a vice president. And mysteriously, the vice president of the uh, NAACP came up dead. Mm -hmm. uh, it was ruled suicide where he was shot in the back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, many times. Wow. So we had our run yeah. ins with uh, yeah. uh, ways that people kept took care of oppression. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Took care of it to keep the. Keep yeah. every, make sure the oppression was doing an effective exactly. job. Yeah. Um, so let's let's shift. I mean, leave a lot of time in between. Big gap, but yeah. let's shift over to Amherst. Yes. And when did you and your husband move here? Uh, we moved here in I think seventy four. Oh wow! Yeah, a lot earlier than me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been time. around for a long time. Yeah, a that long that time. was an interesting story too, because. We moved because we lived in Worcester, and I wasn't used to cities, mm -hmm. big cities, coming from a fairly rural area. And also, was it a shock to be in the north, more in the north than, or was it? It was really a big, sh a big shock. Yeah. But we we came up with a. My mother came up with a northern migration, oh, okay. and then I wanted to come up with her, mm -hmm. and I did so. But that was the year that they had um, uh, big school union. They wouldn't, uh, schools were closed because teachers were on strike. So I came up to live with my brother who was at Fort Devens. Mm -hmm. And so I was in that environment. It's a small rural environment. I'm telling you, I got angels here. Because yeah. me in New York City, I went to school like three days. I had my wallet stolen. Everybody in my advanced classes were white. And they looked at me like, what are you doing in here? Wow. I mean, <laughs> you know, it was like marijuana in the bathrooms. I was like... I was from Podunk, Arkansas, so it was quite a transition. Yeah. 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 But, yeah, so we went to, so I went to Clark mm -hmm. uh, University. And, and then you landed here because Roger got the teaching job. Yes, Roger did. He applied yeah. for a teaching job. Yeah. He was uh, selected, I think, fifth. Yeah. Yeah. And But the other four people opted out. So, so over the years, it's been a long time, and I know that racial issues kind of bubble up in Amherst, and then they get quiet in the news, at least. Mm. They bubble up and get quiet. I've yeah. seen a few of those bubblings. Mm. But 
what's you what's been your experience in Amherst racially and how you and your family and your daughters in school and yeah wow that's a big question big question yeah yeah I'll have to say it's it's been a difficult road in some ways and again and delightful in others mm -hmm. I've just been surprised by the kindness of many people uh, of all kind of ethnic backgrounds, mm -hmm. international and whatever. But it has not been an easy road to hoe. I'll just give you one example that was, I don't know, uh, maybe five years ago. Okay. Um, Roger is, you know, is a teacher in mm -hmm. at Fort River Elementary School. He's retired now. but. At one point, uh, they were having a basketball game, and so he went over to the scorekeeper and said, hey, you need any help? And so the guy says, oh, are you the janitor? Wow. I mean, the, the assumption is, you know, that, uh, I don't know what the assumption is, but there's so many. I can't tell you. I'm going through the checkout line at Big Y, and the person before me, the cashier's chatting with, and you know, they're da -da 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 -da. and I come up and I'm like, hello, and I get this dour mm. face. And very business-like, I give him my, you know, my little thing there so he can see that I'm a big white person, and he just throws it on the counter. Oh. I cannot tell you how many times I've been followed in stores. I have fun with oh, it now, though. Gosh. One time I was in, I don't know, I'll just say a big, big store, mm -hmm. and uh, this person was following me around, and I was with my grandchildren, when I, and I was like, oh, I said, well, this is a teachable moment. What do you think is happening? Have you seen this guy before? Oh, and they were wow. like, yeah, when we were on the first... I said, okay, let's do an experiment and see if he's indeed following us. Let's go to some other areas. So we would go to other areas, and they were, they were looking at him. He's here, he's here. And I said, oh, let's go to another area. I said, what do you think this is about? It's a teachable moment. Yeah. They said, I don't know. Why? Yeah. And they think you're going to steal something. Is it because we're black? And I said, I think that there is possibly uh, some following going on because you're black. I said, well, let's turn the tables. Let's follow him. <laughs> so we all went, wherever he was, we would go, oh, this is so interesting over here. What do you think about this color? Blah, blah, blah. And then he would move to another place. I mean, we were really close. So he would move to another place, and then we would move to that place. And we're, oh, wow, can you see yourself using one of these? That's so silly. You know, and then we would follow. He finally, he just got, ugh, and, and he, he left. He left. But we were like, I guess, I guess our tail is gone. Wow. But I can't tell you the times that I've been stopped and people have looked in my bag to see what I've stolen oh. or not. And, um, and also when people have been the soul of kindness, mm. who've, you know, said, oh, no, you go. Or I'd like to hear what your point of view is. Yeah. Um, and it stands out all the more clearly sure. because it's not always the case. I would say very much is not always the case. Mm -hmm. And particularly as a therapist, yeah. I see that there is, it's, it's very hard sometimes to be the only person of color in a, a, a training, a therapy training. So I, I've, I've gone to all these therapy trainings and one, and one that I went to, there was a man who was there and a person went up to the man and said, oh, what is it like for you being the only man at this uh, training? <laughs> and I just was like, I have been in this therapy business for 30 years, and 
no one has ever asked me what is it like oh to be gosh. therapist now. Therapist? Never once asked me, so what is it like to be the only? Whoa. And I don't know, I alternately feel great about that because I don't want to talk to you about that. Sure. And also, like, wow, you're not even seen sometimes. So this is good segue into the therapy mm. piece because um, I love the kind of work that you do. And, Me too. Uh, so I guess my <laughs> first question <laughs> is about, you know, do you, in terms of the racial stuff, do you, do you find that there are white clients that, that are coming to you for the work that you offer? And um, so, yes. Yes, a lot of the people who are white who are coming to see me mm -hmm. um, for the work that I do are often referred by people who've seen me in the past, uh -huh. who felt that that was really helpful for them. Yeah. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit about the work that you do? Yes, I um, I love the work that I do mm -hmm. because it is relationship-based, and I know that it doesn't work very well with insurance companies, but I like ex uh, something called somatic experiencing. Mm -hmm. It's a method that was uh, brought forward by Peter Levine, and in this method, what you're working with is the relationship, but also with people's cognitive thoughts, mm -hmm. the middle brain, which has to do with feelings and uh, mm. those where the amygdala is, and the, the back brain, which is a primary brain stem. Mm. You want to have a unity of all of those brains. So uh, often a person will understand something, but they keep repeating right. those kinds of things. Or they'll have a feeling and it's cut off from a, a, a thought or what their bodies are doing. So I try to help people to fall into their bodies and hmm. to feel, like right I'm, I'm doing right now, feeling their feet or feeling their lower legs sure. for grounding purposes. So that if you, and also for uh, integral somatic psychotherapy, which I'm doing right hmm. now, a method thought by, taught by Roger Sel, Raja Selvam. And it is about strengthening the person. It's all about life is gonna throw you a bunch of crap Mm -hmm. And you have got to be able to endure it. We can't suppress it or just focus in on all the good stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We really need the capacity to know that this thing is not going to kill me. Mm -hmm. And if you can experience where that is in the body, usually in this area, but sometimes in the back, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes in the lower back, the upper back, if you can spread that out over the body, it's it makes it endurable mm -hmm. and it strengthens your system because you're able to, it's not so horrible, I can endure it. Mm -hmm. So the next time something happens, you're right, you're right on it and you're able to say, wait a minute, I've survived this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And the body remembers for you. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, wow. you can, you, you've done this, you can do it. So not, we're not figuring out all kind of skills to, you know, to, figure out how to right. fix it fix and do it. Yeah. but to strengthen yeah. the person for, yeah. endurance. for endurance because it's you know it's it's a long term sure. race it's not a sure. and the idea we're talking mostly about people who've experienced trauma anything anything yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah trauma especially yeah. because it does seem to hover in specific places like hearts and and then where um, where does EMDR come in to your work. 
mostly as a uh, bilateral stimulation mm -hmm. so that people can follow eyes this way and that way while they're processing a difficult emotion, event, uh, decision making. Mm -hmm. And how does that come anything. in to this brain idea, the front and... And all of that. Yes, there are times when I can combine all of these hmm. different things, somatic yeah. experiencing. And the primary thing about somatic experiencing is you want to get it out. Mm. But ISP, Integral Somatic Psychotherapy, you want to build up endurance. So you're I not see. thinking about getting it out, you're thinking about enduring it. So if I'm at some place that feels, in either of those, when I'm doing SE or ISP, and we're kind of, there's a stuck, or you know, there's something that's gonna take a long time to mm -hmm. do, then I will introduce the bilateral. While you're feeling that in your, somebody will say, for example, I don't have lower legs. Hmm. So I skip from an ISP, endurance, to an SE where a person goes, okay, feel it feel to the point voice. where you can feel it yeah. and go a little bit further back. Yeah. Don't go to the end of where you can feel it and just watch my eye, watch mm, my eye I see. It. Wow. And so while they're doing it, then they're like, oh, I can feel a little bit of something in my feet. Mm -hmm. So all of these things can work together um, if you've practiced them enough, right. <laughs> which I haven't, but I'm beginning to. No, practice I, I them think enough. that is true with mm -hmm. with many things. Just the idea that if you can know it well, mm -hmm. then you can consolidate and synthesize different modalities. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's exactly that's yeah. the thing. That's yeah. really interesting. And where do you think that empathy comes in in terms of your work? Absolutely. Absolutely, you you have to let people know that you understand what's going on with mm -hmm. them. It makes therapists a little crazy. Do you think it comes from your own sort of having this difficult childhood and all mm. the you know the, not, the the bad side of life, not just the good side? Yeah, yeah. I really do feel like if you've been through a lot of things that have been difficult or traumatic, mm -hmm. I think that that makes you able to ex experience that with another person. Mm -hmm. However, I will have to say, I did spend 20 years in therapy myself. Sure. Because I think just going through the trauma can, or whatever can, can also get you stuck there. Yeah. And you have to have some amount of healing right. to be able to empathize. Or uh, the work of God, does it can make you right. more open to other people be, because you know that someone has been open to you, yeah. which is God, Holy Spirit, Jesus. Sure. Uh, however, other people see it too. It's fine. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. um, so, do you feel sometimes that you're working in relationship with? that divine energy when you're worth a client? Almost all the time. Mm. People will report that, you know, oh, I just feel like I want to, you know, what's that old spiritual that people used to sing? Oh. Sometimes they will say that. Or, you know, I went back to church, or I've been in the, the Bahavad Gita, or you know, whatever sure. it is, they're thinking something higher. And I, for a moment, when things worked out so well, I just felt blessed, or whatever it is. Sure. So it's, yeah. yeah. But empathy is indispensable. I know there's cognitive, behavioral, all these techniques, they're fabulous, mm -hmm. but you have to let the person know that you understand mm -hmm. what they're going through. Wow. You're not asking them to do something with anything 
until you have let them know that you're with them. Yeah. You felt it, you understand it, you're resonating. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you know, people are much more willing to engage. I, I totally can relate. I used to <laughs> do some hospital chaplaincy work and I understand very much it's, it's the empathy, the first step to empathy is the presence. Just yes. really being present with someone and them understanding that. You know, feeling it, not just understanding with their mind, but feeling it yes. that you are present and then there's the empathy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I often think that sometimes we're not present with ourselves, but if one person is present, like I'll be present to what a person is feeling, and I said, it feels kind of sad in here now. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, I don't feel sad. Mm. But, you know, their eyes are watery, and I said, oh, okay, but, you know, I'm just going to tell you what I see. Yeah. Your eyes are filled and your face is flushed. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm feeling it. Hmm. And then it feels okay for them to, and they can get in it's touch with it a little bit more. Yeah. yeah, more safe. Safe. Okay. Um, so, Jackie, we're going to take a little break now and be done with our part one. Thank you so much. You're so welcome, and thanks for inviting me. And uh, we will continue with part two in the upcoming part of the program, and we'll also be uh, listening to the choir a little bit. So thank you, and see you in the next half. <laughs>